0: days a year
1: good
2: afternoon and welcome to another edition of money talk i'm neil chrysell and diane duvernay are your hosts every week right here on am 1290 repeated at 11 and on saturdays at 6 we're brought to you by cornerstone home lending whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering, a com- offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and in Montecito's Upper Village. At Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with a personal care and attention, of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution.
3: Hi, Neil. Happy Monday. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing good. I saw the cover, the front page of uh, the Wall Street Journal. And I know you're from uh, Massachusetts, so I want to congratulate you because it showed, I'm not a football fan, but I saw a picture of Tom Brady on the cover, which means New England must have won so,
3: oh, um, very funny, Neil. Very funny. You know he went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which, oh, is that
0: right? as it the-
3: turns out, our guest is from Florida. Today we have Dave Foster, who is a 1031 exchange expert and a qualified intermediary, and he likes to share his tax saving strategies with all of us today um, on 1031 exchanges. So we're thrilled to have you, Dave. Thanks so much for being here.
0: Thank you, and I'm taking full credit for bringing Tom to Tampa.
3: Yeah, I have to say, I I was rooting for him, as I said before the show, because I think it's like take one for the old people, right? Um, and I really think he's a diligent, hard worker, and he deserved to win. But a little piece of my heart was broken that he left New England, and my nine-year-old son has not forgiven him. He's holding a grudge and was rooting uh, against him. Calls him I, not loyal. He doesn't like him.
0: I got to tell you, though, the guy that they're ready to erect a statue to down here. Is Rob Gronkowski.
3: He's a oh, favorite Gronk. of
0: everybody.
3: Well, he's such a nice, he seems like such a nice guy, you know. Uh the Gronk, it, it they're a great team. So um, you know, congratulations, Dave. Enjoy the victory. I'm sure it's big part of the It's great
2: to be here with you guys today. It's it's nice listening to ESPN radio. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, do
3: we have any articles today? Uh, we actually
2: do. And one Great. of them is a, 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 a sort of a follow-up on uh, the game store, uh, game shop story right at the end of our discussion last week about game uh, 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 stop. stop. Um, we, uh, we were talking about probably the lack of understanding from of a, of a lot of the young people about the tax consequences mm-hmm. of, of trading. And uh, in Saturday's Wall Street Journal, there is um, uh, a, a you know, list of things that these people must really become aware of. And that is, you know, most day traders don't qualify for uh, capital gains tax rates because they trade and it's less than a full uh, year. And um, the rates could be as high as 37% plus a, a, a surtax, uh, plus state and local taxes. In the case of California, that's an additional 13.3 percent, and um, the uh, uh, the amount of trading that took place probably indicates that there's going to be a lot of paperwork. And one of the things that you know people who are uh, long-term investors know that when you receive your 1099-B from your stockbroker uh, even if you've traded one or two stocks you could, it could be you know 25 pages of detail. well you know these day traders are going to get these huge packets of, um, of of basically incomprehensible data for their taxes and you know it's not going to be like filing a simple slip of paper. so without withholding they're going to end up with what would be high tax rates pretty complicated. And um, I don't know how many of these young kids really realized, and these are the ones that won. These are the ones that were able to sell. And of course, the ones that didn't sell probably don't have to worry about gains, but they probably have to worry about the fact that they lost their bar mitzvah money. Um, the next article was also uh, from the Week in Wall Street Journal. And the article is about um, a fund that's run by a woman named Kathy Woods, it's called ARK Investments, and it is a probably the most successful uh, specialized, meaning it doesn't follow the entire stock market index fund. It essentially invests in very few stocks, stocks that uh, she believes are going to have exponential growth. And um, the problem that the uh, that Jason Swag, who wrote the article in the Intelligent Investor column, said that she has... Um, not only such few stocks, but since she's been so successful, she has an incredible amount of assets. She's got uh, billions of dollars worth of assets now. And um, according to uh, FactSet, 43.5% of their equity holdings are in stocks, uh, which they own at least a 10th of all shares outstanding and compared to Vanguard, where that statistic is only 9.7%. And so the, Uh, issue that uh, Zwig brings up is is that someone once said, when you have a few shares of stock, you own it, but when you have lots of shares, then the stock owns you is the liquidity issue. And uh, it may be very difficult for her uh, to sell the stock without uh, having uh, a consequence in terms of price movement.
3: Yeah, it's true. When you, when you're the largest shareholder, that it has a whole another set of, um, of
2: complications. Um, the, uh, the, the next uh, couple of articles sort of all address the same issue a, from a different angle, uh, which is basically the level of current interest rates. And the first article from the New York Times is entitled, What's Driving Everything uh, from a Market Frenzy uh, at the Same Time Embracing U.S. Deficits? And it is basically uh, an article that tries to understand the the paradox between the Wall Street bulls that embrace uh, high stock values at the same time uh, Washington is now accepting big deficits because typically big deficits would lead to higher interest rates. And the article brings up, which is something we've talked about a lot, which is that the, the value of any asset is the future income discounted uh, using a uh, discount rate that uh, includes uh, interest rates, and so the higher we have, uh, higher interest rates are, the the less the stock is worth um, versus um, a riskless investment. So the 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 issue here is that if you're going to be bullish in the stock market, you you need to have uh, a view that the interest rates are going to stay low, and um, That brings us to the second article, which is in uh, today's uh, New York Times and in the Wall Street Journal, which is the debate taking place about Biden's stimulus package. And um, if you uh, read the newspapers and looked at the TV shows on Sunday, uh, uh, Summers uh, has basically put out a warning signal and said, look, you know, uh, they may be the the administration. And he's a Democrat. But he said, the administration may be... um, uh, overlooking the risk of of inflation with another stimulus package. And the expectation is that it won't affect interest rates, but based upon um, at least his view of the yield curve and uh, what we are seeing in in terms of economic growth without the stimulus, there is a risk that interest rates uh, uh, may go up. Which would obviously then question, call into question, what the Fed policy should be going but on.
3: They everybody um, keeps talking about um, interest rates going up, but a healthier place for interest rates is not between zero and one percent. So there's more than enough room for interest rates to go up. A healthier place to be would be closer to three to four percent at, at this point in time, because then the Fed actually has more tools in their tool belt if and when we hit another recession. You know, to have a 0% interest rate is unheard of, let alone in Europe where it's actually a negative interest rate. I, I think people, um, you know, become almost like, oh, the new norm is now 0 or 1% to 4% in interest. You know, when, you, when I think back to just even 2000, where you could get an 8.5% interest rate on your money market, you know, think about that. Now you're lucky if you get a half a percent. So there is a lot of room for interest rates to go up. Now, will it affect the stock market? Of course it will to a certain extent. However, money has been easy and cheap for, for a very long time.
2: Yeah, and that ties into the, our final article today from the New York Times, which talks about, uh, it begins by saying, uh, investors who plan to hold for the long run uh, stocks have won big, not primarily because of earnings, but because the cost of money went down to almost zero. A repeat in the next decade is almost inconceivable, which means future returns are likely to be pedestrian at best. Um, and so uh, he concludes he with, uh, uh, if you expect a three to 4% plus uh, inflation growth, which would be pretty good, it's not gonna excite Robinhood investors um, and it would be, um, uh, un, uh, it would be, it, it would be a normal growth, which would be ordinarily acceptable, except for the fact that over the last couple of years we've marked the stocks up so much that there's probably nowhere to go. Um, <clears throat> you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back.
3: Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805 699
2: Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner.
3: And we can be reached at 805-564-1290. Or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So we're thrilled to have with us today, Dave Foster. He is a 1031 exchange expert, a degreed accountant, and a serial real estate investor. He's also a qualified intermediary and a consultant who shares his tax saving strategies with investors who want to maximize their return. So Dave, thanks so much for being here first. So tell Thank us, you. how did how how did you get involved in 1031 exchanges in real estate um, from your accountancy? Give us a little bit of background on you and how you got to where you are today.
0: Got it, you know, yeah, because that's really interesting because in a typical university education, the sum total of your education on section 1031, as you can imagine, is one half of one class. The tax code is so big 1031 is so small that you kind of got to be one of those outliers to get into it. But I was living in Denver, Colorado with my wife and this amazing thing happened. We were double income, no kids, the dinks, right? And we had our first child and all of a sudden the world changed. We threw away the TV because there was no need of that anymore. We just wanted to watch this little bundle and we realized that we, we, the time was gonna be our commodity that we needed to maximize. So we started thinking, what can we do? And like so many people today, we discovered, hey, we could just become real estate investors and be able to do that passively, manage people and properties and spend the time with our children that we want. Cause our goal at that time was to get a sailboat and sail away although we lived in Denver, which was problematic. There were answers to that. (laughs) So I did like everybody does. I went and found a property and I fixed it up and I flipped it. And I thought, this is awesome. Anybody can do this until I met with my accountant, because one of the things I learned along the way is is the lawyer who has himself for a client has a fool for a client. Right? So I always have an accountant and unfortunately Turbo Andy said, man, you realize what your tax bill is going to be. And it was at that moment that I realized that in every real estate deal, you, I, and everybody have a silent partner whose name is uncle Sam. And in my case, uncle Sam, and in the case of most of your listeners in California, uncle Sam is going to make out better than you are on typical real estate value add investments. So I realized I needed to find a way to change the model and I naturally hate taxes. So along the way I discovered section 1031, which has been in the statute for a hundred years, but over the course of time had only become user friendly since about 1996. So it was relatively new. And what it does is it lets you sell investment property, that you purchased to hold and use the process and buy new investment property that you also intend to hold and you get to indefinitely defer payment of tax and depreciation recapture that you normally would have had to pay so instead of writing the check for tax you keep it and use it to purchase more property with it, which then generates a return and you repeat and repeat And that my friends is what Albert Einstein called compound interest, the eighth wonder of the world.
2: So, so let me ask you an elementary question. Let's assume, and I'm not suggesting this could happen to you, but let's assume you do this for 10 years and you've built up an incredible capital gain uh, that's been deferred and you, you make a very bad investment, a very, very large investment and you lose everything. Um, What is your tax consequence at the end of the day? Well, at the end of the day,
0: if you, so let me answer that by telling you about the four Ds of 1031 investing and everybody get your pens and papers ready. The four Ds are defer, 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 and die. Because as long as you continue to 1031, Neil, you will never pay the tax. So your question is what happens if you have to break that chain and sell for whatever reason, the answer would be that at that point in time, you would pay the tax from the gain on that property, as well as the tax on the gain from the properties that you 1031 forward into it. Because what really happens is that your basis in the old property is what transfers forward. So the gain stays with you until the last D. But don't forget that while that is happening, though, it's not a linear pro- progress on both sides. Your gains are increasing tax wise and literally, but you're also getting that bounce from compound interest. So when you pay it back, you're not going to pay back everything you've made because you've made interest on interest.
2: Okay. But I, what what I'm saying is let's just forget about Taxes for a moment. You, you, you take all this money and you invest it in something that is so big that when it goes under, you now have no money, but you still have a negative basis, don't you, from all of the other investments? You Or can you accumulate them and say you own zero taxes, or do you have um, this tail? Okay.
0: In a doomsday situation like that, there's a couple of things that are going to happen. Number one, you've probably got all kinds of losses to offset. Number two, your basis is gonna be impacted by how you have to sell it. So it's highly unlikely you're gonna be selling for a huge profit. So that's gonna decrease your tax liability. And in all probability, there's gonna be a President Obama in office who's going to say that you can sell at a loss and not count the income as gain. So there's, there's all sorts of different ways, but the rough answer to your question is, yeah, it's something to watch out for because it is possible to sell a piece of property and generate no cash profit and yet have a taxable event.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's an important thing. I mean, th- this works when it works. It's a great idea when it works, but I think if you talk to it, uh, maybe, you, let me ask the question, not tell you. Do the, Does the typical customer of yours understand that even though it may be remote, there is some risk uh, uh, that... Uh, at the end of the day, they could get hurt uh, even without dying? Um, you know,
0: actually, the real answer to that in today's environment is no, there's no realization of that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've all got stars and greed in our eyes. But here's, here's the, the true reality. I have a number of clients from what I call the era, the era from 2007 to 2010. Remember that? The dark days, right? Every client of mine that did not have to sell a piece of property has made their money back in many, many fold and has never lost a penny. See, that's the key to manage your leverage and your risk so that you don't have to sell because that's when you get into trouble tax-wise is when you sell, as long as you hold on, there is no taxable event. As long as anytime time you sell, you do another 1031, no taxable event.
2: Yeah, and but you fourth, see, but, but, but you mentioned leverage. That's the important thing here. If you have too much leverage, then you can't hang on if things get really bad. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But hanging on is the key. And the fourth D is
0: die. Because when you die, your heirs will get the step up in basis to that property. They inherited tax free. So the key, meal is exactly what you said. Really try to maintain your exposure to leverage risk and be able to hang on to properties and take it full term,
2: and you will create
0: legacy wealth for your heirs.
2: You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back.
4: When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service, every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on
2: us. Bank
4: on us. American Riviera Bank. Bank on better.
2: Since 1994, Opera Santa Barbara has celebrated and championed the breadth and beauty of opera throughout California's Central Coast. Here's artistic director Costas Protopapas. I have been uh, the Artistic Director of Opera Santa Barbara since July of 2015. In the regular season, we did three main stage productions. In addition, we had a long series of noontime concerts that take place at libraries that are part of the Santa Barbara library system. So we tried to bring music awareness of the arts and the rich historical literary background that the art form of opera brings with it to as many parts of the community as possible. Our website is operasb.org. There's updates there. Of course, our social media are very active, Facebook and Instagram. To learn more about Opera Santa Barbara, go to operasb.org or call 805-898-3890.
3: This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat. And apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable. But how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky, right? Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live.
1: Learn more at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration.
2: Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who was seeking long-term financial confidence.
3: And if you're just joining us, we have Dave Foster, a 1031 expert, exchange expert with us. And so, you know, Dave, let's back up a little bit and just talk about what the requirements are to make a 1031 exchange.
0: Right, yeah, because that's really where the devil's in the details, for sure. You want to start off by thinking about 1031 in reverse of how you normally think about real estate investing. You know, I'm sure we've all had that guy sitting in the back of the room in dirty cowboy boots who's got more money than Davy Crockett who will tell you you make all your money when you buy. And he may be right, but in the 1031 world where you're trying to mitigate taxes to maximize your ROI, you keep more of your money when you sell. So the 1031 exchange always starts with a sale of a piece of investment real estate. And then it ends with the purchase of a piece of real estate. And in between those two events, there are some very stringent requirements. It has to be investment property. You have to use an unrelated third party called the qualified intermediary. That's the role that we play in the thing because you cannot touch the proceeds. They have to flow from sale to purchase and because there has to be certain documentation so it's pretty it's very detailed you only have 45 days and neil this is where we were starting to speak to at the break the, the fear of getting a bad investment because of the time crunches you only have 45 days to identify your next property or potential replacements and 180 to close so those timelines can can come at you pretty hard and heavy.
3: And so as the qualified intermediary, you actually hold the client's funds. So once they sell one property, you hold the funds until the closing of the replacement property. Is that true?
0: That's correct. The IRS is very concerned because of the results of the Starker case law in 96. Very concerned with having the money be out of their purview. So what they allow is the unrelated third party QI. To hold those proceeds in trust.
3: They so now, don't want the client to have them. When you hold those proceeds, do you commingle them or are they all segregated accounts?
0: You know, there is no specific requirement one way or to other. But I'm glad you asked. Because personally, myself and my company think commingled accounts are a really bad idea. Trust accounts like a normal title company, attorney, commingled accounts simply give rise to more, in some ways to more temptation, but they give rise to more risk from an adverse event happening to another exchanger. I worry less about the QI stealing money than I do about my exchange funds being with a company where there's another exchange that has his funds in the same account and he files a bankruptcy or has a lawsuit against him because the receiver in that sense, is going to freeze the accounts. Now, my money's not gonna be at risk, but is it possible that the process drag on so that I miss a closing window? Absolutely.
3: Especially so a ch- day 180 days That's closed. exactly right.
0: So what we choose to do, although it's not a requirement, is that we set up individual segregated accounts, but we make them dual signatory. So they get FDIC insurance, which is the gold standard. They, money cannot move without the client's signature, but we're also signers, so that protects them from the IRS. And only their money is in that. So it becomes very trackable, very accountable, and very safe.
2: So, but your, so- your role though, is not just simply as an escrow agent, you're also uh, help the clients find the property. Isn't that correct?
0: You know, because of my years of experience, I have relationships all over America, but truly that the qualified intermediary can only do the documentation and the processing of the 1031 exchange itself. By law, we're prohibited from any other relationship. So I've got, you know, clients and realtors everywhere. If you want to, if you want to go find a vacation rental in Gatlinburg, I can introduce you to a dozen different realtors who can do that. But I myself cannot help you find that property in Gatlinburg.
3: So now within the segregated accounts, are is interest being accrued and who gets the interest? Would it be you as the qualified intermediary or would it be the client whose funds that you're holding?
0: Typically on the segregated accounts like this, because they're individual accounts, there's no interest being paid. Because of the additional cost to set them up, we waive the interest on them so nobody gets any interest. In a pool trust account though, that becomes a significant portion Mm -hmm. of the intermediary's revenue model because they are generally generating the revenue off that. Now, whether they pass that on to the client or not, again, is up to the individual negotiation.
3: And so then how do you get compensated for your role as the qualified intermediary?
0: We do it on, on a fee basis. Um, and, and really it's, it's kind of um, amazingly noise level. If someone is selling an asset for less than a million dollars, the national average for QIs to facilitate that exchange is around $850. So it's not going to break the bank, but that's how we get paid. And then that's what we do for what we do.
3: And so for the 1031 exchange, it's my understanding that you have to sell your property at a lower value than what you have to, you have to always kind of be going up, moving up the the cost structure in order to 1031. Is that correct? So if I'm selling a property for 500,000, I have to be purchasing a property for $550,000 or
0: more. Kind of, but not really. Um, What is true is that if you want to defer all tax, you must purchase at least as much as your net sale. But here's some twists on that. Number one, if you wanted to take some cash out, you can, and you simply pay tax only on the difference. So there might be a reason to pull some out, pay a little bit of tax, shelter some tax, but even more importantly, strategically where we live with our clients is you could sell that $500,000 property and go buy four, or five, I mean, $100,000 single family rentals in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So you can go from a larger asset to multiple smaller assets. And many times that has a very healthy benefit to your NOI and subsequent ROI because you're getting more dollars of rent per square foot or per door. Whereas the larger the asset, typically the less dollars per square foot you're able to generate.
2: So, so I'm a cl- I'm a new client and I come to you and say look I've got this property uh I'd like to take advantage of 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 a 1031 exchange. I don't know what to buy. Uh can you help me? Do you, is that part of your role? Sure,
0: because they need to know what they're able to buy. So we would sit down with that client and I would say well what are you thinking? What do you enjoy? What do you want? Well, you know what I really love helping people and servicing people, and I love nice places. Well, have you ever thought of doing vacation rentals? Because that's allowable in 1031 exchange. If they say, I'm I'm sick of toilets and tenants, I want something that's going to manage itself. Oh, how about, have you ever thought of going into commercial investing and triple net investing? If they say, well, I really like multifamilies because I like the number of doors. Okay, you can go there. It's more my role to show them what is possible than it is to help them evaluate what it is that they're looking at.
2: Okay, so now they tell you what they want. Do you re- refer to them if they don't know to either a location or a broker? Or if I have a lot to do. I'm that. always happy to do that, sure. But so but so but you basically you're you're not part of that that search for the property then. I'm a Switzerland man or Sweden. Which one is it?
0: Switzerland. Switzerland. I'm Switzerland. I have to be absolutely completely neutral in the whole thing. So, you know, if we know somebody that does a good job, sure, we'll make an introduction because that just makes my job go that much more smoothly.
3: So, the client has to
0: find their own. Yeah.
3: How has business been recently with the escalating real estate market?
0: Can I even keep up with it these days? I got to tell you. So, 2005, 500,000 exchanges nationwide, 2008, 100,000. And it's been climbing ever since then. We're about up to or above the 2005 level right now. So if you remember what real estate was like then, feels like that right now. I'm just hoping there's not a derivatives market ready to implode this time around.
2: You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290, KZSB, and we'll be right back.
5: Hospice of Santa Barbara is there to help when we're adjusting to living with a life-threatening illness, facing death, anticipating the death of a loved one, or healing our grief after a death. Hospice of Santa Barbara can provide the emotional, social, and spiritual care needed in a supportive, compassionate environment. Hospice of Santa Barbara provides professional counseling for individuals and has many support groups and programs for adults, teens, and children services are free, made possible by our community's generosity and by all of the highly trained wonderful volunteers that give her their time to help those in need. If you would like to make a donation, become a volunteer, or support the important work of Hospice of Santa Barbara, or find out more about hospice services for you or someone you love, please call 563-8820, 563-8820, or visit our website at www org. Welcome
2: back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about.
3: So, Dave, tell us about what are, what are the most common types of exchanges out there? Like, what do you what do you see the most of?
0: Right. Well, I mean, as as it's just a regular garden variety, straightforward exchange, you sell and then you buy. The most common subcategories of that would be right now the diversification exchange. I'm selling a smaller property. I'm sorry, a larger property. And I'm using the proceeds to go buy multiple less expensive properties. So I'm diversifying my portfolio. I'm growing it. Now the exact opposite of that would be a consolidation exchange where I am selling several of those smaller properties to consolidate them, to purchase a larger asset. Where we're seeing this very heavily is in the multifamily market. That's gotten real frothy everybody's thinking bigger, bigger, bigger on the multifamily side. And so they're all, they're all frustrated single family rental, um, client investors and they've got multifamily in their eyes. So they're going to sell those 10 or 15 single families and consolidate them to buy a larger multifamily. That's the two most common ways to do it. A geographic 1031, um, it's very common out in your neck of the woods where folks are selling highly appreciated California property that they cannot get good NOI on, and using the proceeds to go out of state where they can get better cash flow California has always been a great market for appreciation but when that stalls out if you want cash flow you go other places and then try to jump back into California while it's still stagnated later down the road
3: now, what what effect, if any, are um, is the ten thirty one exchange in the metropolitan areas where we've seen depreciation of you know of apartments and and what have you um, as more and more people have you know left the metropolitan areas and moved into the suburbs? Are you seeing any effect on the ten thirty one market? You know,
0: interestingly enough, there's almost since COVID has come around, there is the start. They counter movement back. And it's kind of counterintuitive because when you think of social distancing, you think I gotta get away from people, I wanna get my space, I'm going to the suburbs, I'm living in larger areas. But in fact, people are feeling more safety being in single, being in multifamily situations now. And so we're actually starting to see a trend back in there. Not enough to say it's gonna last, um, And I I don't know what the future is going to bring, but we are creatures of community. And so by and large, we tend to like to cluster. And I don't see that changing the foreseeable future.
3: Interesting. Yeah, because I'm hearing from clients who rent in those particular areas, whether it be San Francisco, LA, Manhattan, that they're actually negotiating down their rents for the first time in their lives.
0: Oh, there's no doubt about that. That has definitely happened. And that's going to cause problem, Neil, for those overleveraged investors. It's going to hit them hard and it's going to hit them quick. Because, but what, what I think you're talking about, Diane, is not so much the class of asset and the impact that it's having as it is the rules of the air uh, of the uh, municipalities and states where those assets are owned. That's what's going to have a bigger impact how long the moratorium stay on evictions, on rents, uh, rent abatement, and all those kinds of things. I think those are gonna be more impactive than the type of asset itself.
3: Interesting. So will you share with us a little bit more about some advanced 1031 exchange options like reverses and the FIR, PTA, construction, et cetera?
0: Oh, yes. So the statutory order of the 1031 is sell, and then buy. But what if you found the perfect property you want to buy and you haven't sold your old property? Or let's say because we're in this market and you want to find your new property because you're scared you won't. And you know you can sell your old property very easily. In a reverse exchange, we as the qualified intermediary form a holding entity and we take title to the new property and then we hold it for up to 180 days or until you sell your other property. So you don't buy your new property first, but you control it first. And that's the premise of the reverse. And the reverse exchange can be used if it's simply just a simple matter of timing. So you found your new property, you haven't sold your old one. It could be if the property that you found needs significant improvement. So you're selling a $500,000 asset and the property you want to buy is $300,000 and it needs $200,000 in value add. We would take title to that and hold it in the entity title until you've completed the improvements. Now the property is worth $500,000, isn't it? So you can sell your old property for $500,000 and take title to that property for $500,000 or it can be used with new construction as well. So all of those are just different twists on we taking title to the new property and holding it until your old property closes. And yeah, by the way, those are a lot more expensive than regular (laughs) 1031s. So there's a little bit more revenue made on those. That's the reverse exchange model, just in a nutshell. Can be very, very valuable when you're in an overheated market and finding your new asset is the challenge because mm. it lets you control that then you've got a little bit of relaxed moments to sell your old property
3: and so when you take title how how is it so is it viewed then that you your firm buys the property and then they're actually buying it from you The, the- that's
0: exactly right that's exactly right and i'll put all the documentation is specific to the IRS process. It's For those of you who are the the tax geeks, it's revenue procedure 2000-37. You're actually buying the property from us. That's correct. But you're buying it for our cost of acquisition plus the cost of the improvements. So we're not making the money on that, we're making the money on facilitating the process.
2: Does that cause you to have a lot of paperwork problems when you file your taxes? Now, it causes a bit
0: more, but not onerously uh, because we don't recognize gain on the purchase and sale of those. So filing the taxes is relatively simply. simple. Um, you mentioned a firm to exchange, Foreign Investors and Real Property Tax Act. It's 15% withholding for any non-U.S. citizen that sells a piece of property. So if you don't want to get stuck with 50% of the sales price being deducted immediately, you could do a 1031 exchange and avoid that. And that's, that's the very, very short version of the FERP exchange.
3: And so back in when they were redoing the the tax, the 2008 tax law, there was some talk that the 1031 exchange was going to go away. Now, did you hear that? And, yeah. and what do you think caused the, uh, the the change in tide, if you would, to keep the 1031 exchange in place.
0: That's interesting. And I tell you what, I'm going to ask you guys a question that your listeners can think about over this break. Every president, since I have been doing this for over 20 years now, has talked about doing away with 1031. Not unique at all to 2008. Every single president has talked about doing it generally what stems the tide is the impact that there is on velocity and the real estate markets but here's the question i'll leave you with who is the one president that actually took something away from 1031 exchanges during his tenure
3: i feel like we're on jeopardy we we need some music
0: (laughs) reagan can we answer before break Uh. First of all, Neil, I'm not quite that old, thank you.
4: <laughs> it was
0: our dearly departed President Trump. 1031 he used to be for both real property and personal property, things like his 747. He eliminated the personal property provision of 1031. Who'd have thought that the reddest of the red presidents would be the one who would do that. So, I don't see, I don't have too much concern.
2: You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB. And we'll be right back with our final segment.
4: When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service, every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better.
5: Community Alert, not if, but when disaster strikes. Join Ted Adams and Mike Williams for Community Alert, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. and 9 p.m. and Saturdays at 1 p.m. Community Alert, where guests discuss local issues, including prevention, emergency preparation, evacuations, and information flow, before, during, and after emergencies and incidents. Community Alert, heard on AM 1290, the Santa Barbara News Press radio station.
2: back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial guidance.
3: So Dave, what are some of the most common mistakes you see clients making that, that null and voids the 1031, or they're just not doing something properly that puts it in jeopardy, the tax deferral?
0: Sure, hey, mistake number one brings tears to my eyes at least once a month. Someone calls me up and says this, Dave, I closed on my property last week. I wanna do a 1031 exchange. And right at that point in time, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because the QI has to be in place prior to the closing of the sale. If you close the sale, there's no documentation that's been on that closing and the funds either went into your account or they're under your constructive control. So that is the single most important, biggest mistake, saddest day of my life is when I have to turn business away just because they forgot to call me a week ago.
3: Because it would even be worth it for them to, even if they didn't have, they weren't sure if they wanted to, to buy another property or not they're better served by opening an escrow account with you to preserve their choices of rolling it into another property or breaking it and they, they can take it out, right? And just- Well, yeah,
0: and, and you know, we're like, most QIs are gonna be like us. There's absolutely no charge until closing happens. But I can't think of anybody in any situation where less planning is better than more planning, except maybe jumping off the cliff. And that's probably less thought is better, but-
3: That's only if you're trying to capture the fourth D and you you don't have any other choices.
0: (laughs) Well said, absolutely. But yeah, so the idea is that 1031s really are so much better thought of strategically and with strategy comes runway and planning. So yeah, if you even have a glimmer of this, and are thinking about it, you need to call a QI and discuss options. It'll be well worth your while.
3: So now, Dave, if someone out there is listening and and is interested in your services, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
0: We have created an entire education persona because we've seen over the last 15 years that so much of the knowledge of 1031 has been lost by attrition investors that went out at last crash realtors that went out as well so what we have created is the 1031 investor and that truly is the best place to get all of us the 1031investor.com lots of good training videos access to me and our team and calculators everything you need to see if this is going to be the right move for you
2: and if uh if you uh, make a deal with you does the customer get a free coffee cup Absolutely not, but we, we are
0: frequently giving away free coffee.
2: Same well, thank time. you, thank you, Dave, for, for this education about 1031 investors, and um, uh, we appreciate it. And uh, I'm, your website, I guess, can be gained by just Googling Dave Foster.
0: Dave Foster, 1031, yeah, brings up a face that
2: was made for radio. Uh, that, <laughs> thanks so much, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next week.
3: It's... Th-